up to $26,000 per employee? They call it the 15-minute refund, but it's not a gimmick. It's for business owners who stuck it out during the pandemic. The Employee Retention Tax Credit, or ERTC. But time is running out to get started. Talk to the experts. JWC Advisors at iHeartTaxRefunds.com. Who are they? CPAs who will keep you on the right side of the IRS. So do it the right way. Go to iHeartTaxRefunds.com. That's iHeartTaxRefunds.com. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here, and uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day to hang out with us here the Grit Daily Startup Show. You know, Daniel, we love to tell stories of the world of startup, the good, the bad, and what we like to call the gritty. So I'm curious to hear what your experience has been uh, with all of that, in addition to what you guys have built over at Fashion. But before we do all that, let's back up a little bit. Let's help our listeners better understand a little bit more about you and your backstory and what really brought you to present day and what you're currently doing right now. Yeah, certainly some some grit was required. Um, I was born in the Soviet Union. Uh, and I grew up there, uh, but I was very adventurous. I played sports. Uh, I played water polo. And I played for, you know, very serious kind of international junior teams. And I decided to just take off. And at 15 years old, I went and uh, and uh, ran to United States. Uh, just, uh, I guess, like a lot of adventure, right? So I wanted to play sports, but I also wanted to learn things. And eventually, though, um, uh, I played sports for quite a while in college. But after that, I got into the world of finance and I worked at a company uh, for basically doing quantitative analysis. I was always, besides being an athlete, I was a math geek, which I guess is not a, you know, like a typical combination. But I loved math always. And I, when I got into a finance world, I was working in what's called quantitative fin- finance. So there's a lot of mathematics and kind of Wall Street working with hedge funds. And it was fun for a while, but... Um, Eventually, I realized that it doesn't excite me because essentially what you're doing is you're helping people who already have billions make you know another billion, which is uh, just not exciting at all. Uh, and uh, I started playing the startup game. I had um, actually a startup that I worked also in finance, but it was a different kind of a startup. And then eventually, uh, really, I was very concerned about the kind of corporate social media censorship that was descending upon the world. Sure. And it was very obvious in, in the States. So like this strange path from Soviet Union, you know, which had its share of censorship for sure, <laughs> to uh, California where I played water polo. Then I play, worked in New York on Wall Street. And then eventually I really got interested in this kind of open sourced uh, um, antidote to the corporate social media. And so that's really kind of my uh, short story. Amazing. That's a great story. That's a, it is short, but uh, very much impactful and uh, sounds like very, very eventful. So h- how did this whole bastion concept come about? How did, what, did you wake up one day and go, you know, this is the next obvious solution that, that I need to create? How, how did this whole thing come about? Yeah, I mean, I, I have experience of censorship, right? Obviously, growing up in a country where there was not a lot of freedom of expression. But um, uh, I started noticing in the States that uh, whether you agree or disagree with somebody, you shouldn't be banning people unless they're 
doing something illegal. Uh, you should not just be like banning opinions. And I started noticing that. I mean, that was a while ago. I started more and more uh, seeing that, and especially in corporate social media. It was interesting to me because at the time, a lot of it was around personalities. People, you know, people like to hate on personalities. It's very easy, right? Emotional. Oh, it's Mark Zuckerberg. You know, it's his fault. Or Jack Dorsey at Twitter. Um, but uh, I started analyzing, being an analyst, started analyzing the whole thing. And it was interesting to me to try to understand the underlying forces. And I came to the opinion that it's got very little to do with personalities, actually. Very little. In fact, you know, um, uh, it's quite the opposite. Sometimes you have like somebody like Jack Dorsey was was highly, I think, freedom-oriented person, right? He he. It's his quote. He said, Twitter is, if there was a free speech wing of the free speech party, Twitter would be it. And, but eventually, I think the corporate world grinds people to you know, censor. And I believe that it's not healthy for the society. It's dangerous. And it leads to, I think, a really dissolution of the society. When, you know, when you have censorship and you have these echo chambers, people start, whatever your opinion is, right? If you only talk to people who agree with you, you eventually get more and more, you know, a quote unquote extreme. I don't mean extreme as an extremism, but, you know, you, you basically become more and more convinced that you're always yeah, right. They fuel you. Yeah. And then, and then what happens is, when you go outside of that charmed circle, you're like shocked. You know, people think that they must be evil. You know, and that that I think is not healthy. Well, I, I know it's not healthy for society. That's why traditional social networks, I sometimes call them asocial networks, because they actually tear tear apart the society, because they create echo chambers by, you know, even some of the recommendations, right? You go in and you're always going to be recommended things that you agree with, typically. That's what they do. That's what they do to maximize, to lure you in and so on. But the other thing that came before when I analyzed these things, I realized that all corporate social media are what's called platforms. It's a platform business. And platform businesses are ancient, right? I'm sure you interviewed lots of platform. I mean, a lot of people want to do want to start a platform now because it's very lucrative. But like an ancient bazaar, right? Middle Eastern bazaar is a platform. Almost a flea market is a platform. It's a it's a kind of a place, right? It's kind of a place where people do stuff, but it doesn't do the the thing itself. So, like a Facebook is the biggest media company, but it doesn't produce any media, or at least uh, not obviously. Uh, so, social media platforms are very unique, though, uh, because they came to be at a time where after two thousand eight, their Federal Reserve would print enormous amounts of money. We all know that, right? There was just like you know zero percent interest rates. Not for everybody, though. Like if as a startup owner, I couldn't get a 0% interest rate. But anyway, so they would get all this cash and they allow these social media giants to just grow with a band, you know, with no limits, with no limits. You know, if you have 0% interest rate close to it, you essentially can do anything you want. It doesn't matter how smart or stupid you are. You eventually will own everything, right? Because you can't go bankrupt and you will have enough money to eventually buy up or destroy all your competitors or, or basically... Uh, uh, you know, have like a price war, which in the case of social media, it's actually not a price war, it's a free war. Right? Like YouTube, for example, how can you compete with YouTube? They invest billions of dollars into free servers. So people come in and, you know, quote unquote free, they get this service. Yeah. And so what I realized in the life cycle of these platforms is that initially they really give you a lot because they have these huge investments. But then at some point they really turn the screws and they take it back and they take it back in a big, big way and I think that's a very detrimental way. They start to sell you. They start to sell you. So when you use YouTube, you have to realize that you are 
what's being sold. It's not free. You pay with yourself, with your own emotion. They use neural networks to track your every move. And they build like a personality profile, essentially, of you. So what you think you're getting for free, you're actually paying a very dear price because they have ability to manipulate your psyche through heuristics, especially children. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of social <laughs> corporate social networks, as you can tell. But I try to go beyond personalities. I try to look at the underlying trends. And I saw that there's this evil cycle where a corporate social network will give, 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 and then it at some point, they turn the screws and they just take everything, including you, your soul. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you say turn the screws. I like that. I had a little bit of that experience uh, uh, this year when filing my taxes on the all the air quotes free money. My CPA had a good dose of uh, reality, which I probably thought about back then, but it was a bit of a surprise this year. So the screws tightened. There's never a free lunch, I think. Would that be an accurate statement too? When it comes to all of this stuff, I mean, based on wherever you think it is, it's a free platform. Uh, but, um, you know, is it really free? Just like you started to explain. Yeah. Uh, chances are, you know, pro probably not. So so who do you guys serve? Who's your customer? Well, Bastion is not a corporation. First of all, it's an open source platform. I noticed uh, it's that. It's like a Ask torrent or something. You know, it could be compared to torrent or Bitcoin. It's got some elements of Bitcoin. It's got some elements of torrent. Uh, we serve anybody who is dissatisfied with corporate social media, particularly in the area of censorship, Who, but not just censorship, just in general, the effect of corporate social media on the fabric of the society. So we have many different kinds of people. Obviously, there's some people with opinions I disagree with, right? This is the point, actually. <laughs> if this was a platform that I only agree with, then the whole, the whole, the whole point is moot. So... Uh, we serve people who are awake enough to understand that uh, when you look at a, a free cheese in a mousetrap, it's actually very, very expensive. <laughs> it's much right. more expensive than the cheese in the supermarket. Sure. Uh, but the, just the cost is very high, but it's just backloaded as opposed to frontloaded. So we serve these people who understand that you have to just make an effort. I think we've all been infantilized to some degree in the sense that... Um, you know, we're just getting used to everything easy. Just give it to me easy, right? I just, you know, an extra an extra scroll. I don't want to wait for five seconds. What do you mean I have to wait for five seconds? I mean, <laughs> you know that according to uh, latest studies, the human attention span of an adult, nonetheless, on the internet is lower officially than the attention span of the goldfish. Oh, wow. I, that's goldfish, the second time goldfish. I've Yeah, sorry? No, I was going to say, it's the second time I've heard that this week. Guys got the really? wow. guys got the attention span of a goldfish. I'm like, I've never heard that before, and it's the second time you just got done saying it. So yeah, because goldfish is renowned for its short attention span. It's like nine seconds at most. It can mm -hmm. concentrate on any object, but humans on the internet have reached the average of seven seconds. Oh, I didn't even know goldfish had an attention span. So let's just start there. They I do. Mean, I figure they yeah, just yeah kinda... that, there you go. There you go. They do. Unless because, there's I mean, food in their bowl, you know. Exactly, but uh, you can't survive uh, without any attention span. But so you have to, exactly for food, right? You have to pay attention to food. Sometimes. I may need to go get a goldfish. I, they always end up floating <laughs> to the top of the bowl every time I do. Every time I try, though. But maybe Ooh. that's my. Maybe that's a sign. I should go get a goldfish. I need a new companion here. So, um, <laughs> title of this episode. Are you as present as a goldfish? Uh, so let's let's shift gears a little bit into the world of startup. What 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 has been your worst experience in the world of startup? Oh, uh, that's a that's a that's a really good question. I mean, You're like where I've do had I start? A startup, I've had a startup. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, just personally, I had a startup in 
2013 it was when the company was not doing well. I mean, it wasn't doing horribly, actually. We, we'd had hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, but I just had such high expectations of it. And uh, personally, like, you know, I've committed to a lot of people and I had a second child that was, who was born and just, it was incredibly stressful. At that point, I realized, you know, I think I'm, I'm very thankful that I left the corporate world. And but the, the the worst experience in the startup world in the startup world that you asked about was actually the best one because I realized finally I I left the corporate world in like 2010 I was very high on myself I believe that because I led a department at a major company I made a number of inventions you know I've done some really interesting and successful things I was like I'm just gonna kill it right you know who can stop me and then three years later I realized that uh, after a very fast start. That I'm not going not near I'm not going nearly as fast as I should or as I hoped, and it was very humbling. So I started reading, I started learning, re-educating myself about business, about how to run it. So, you know, and just reevaluating the world around me in many different ways because it was like a really humbling experience. So, in the sense, my worst worst startup episode was that like the Nadir when I realized well the company is not growing, it's doing well, but it's not growing. It needs to grow. I have kids. And I have a family. I need to do something, and so I would just start reading and learning. And for a couple of years, that went on, and then things really turned around in, in many different ways. And then I started Bastion, which is not necessarily a lucrative startup, right? There's no like, a, 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 it's not a corporate entity, but it's incredibly satisfying because I've learned how to innovate, right? That was my goal. I thought innovating was just about math, and I was very, very wrong. In fact, you know, math is a very secondary. It's actually more an emotional state and a thought process. So the worst episode led me to read a lot of the books, like, you know, Christensen's books on innovation. Uh, I read like, you know, probably a hundred books in a few years. And so it turned out, I'm still, I'm still learning, right? Not that I'm like, you know, all great at everything, but I've learned how to innovate and break through. And I feel like Bastion is actually with the Y, B-A-S-T-Y-O-N is a breakthrough project because it solves a number of problems. It solves the problem of how to, how can you have a non-corporate social network, right? You would have tragedy of the commons. I don't know if you've heard, you, you know that term, right? Tragedy of the commons is when you try to build something altruistic and there's just not enough resources. People take more than they give. It's actually sure. a very complicated social problem. But with Bastion, we're using some of the Bitcoin tools. We've solved that. We solved that. So it runs on users' computers. It runs on users' computers. How do you make users run computers? Well, you have to create an incentive system. It has to run in a decentralized way without a corporation, without kind of a CEO. I'm not a CEO. I can't ban anybody off a of bastion. That's the way it's built. So uh, your question is, you know, the worst moment actually led to a turnaround in my thinking about how, how to innovate. And that's what got me here. I love it. Well, you said that you know, the worst part was the best part, but I, my next question is, what has been the best experience as part of the pro, as part of the startup process? Is there another one? I love how you turn the negative into a positive, but is there one that really sticks out? Where you're like, you know what, this has probably been the best part of the process outside of funding and exiting, of course. Well, I uh, the best part for me always is when I see an opinion that I think should be heard, and it cannot be heard in the, in many places outside of Bastion. Right. And when I see it get traction, even if I don't agree with it, uh, I see that that really that's that is to me the best part that uh, normally 
if you come to somebody and say, I want to create a social network, so you have to have billions of dollars, you have to have investors, and they will control you, right? Let's face it, they will control you. Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, WhatsApp, right, was an app founded by a freedom activist. Then it was sold to Facebook. So uh, we came up with an idea to get around that, to actually have a decentralized project without huge investment running as a community project. And it's successful. It's got hundreds of thousands of users. It just passed 100,000 downloads on Android app. You can look for it in Play Store. With Apple, we're still kind of talking because they're actually highly uh, restricted and controlling company. <laughs> they're, they're very, very controlling. Uh, but we're trying to make it work. So for me, the best moment is when I see a video that should be seen by people, but it wouldn't be seen by people mostly out without Bastion. That really, you know, that's really amazing to me. I love it. Well, you clearly put together a solution that uh, you know that matters, that helps you know the the, the world here. So I wanted to continue. I wanted to encourage you to to keep up the great work. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I've learned. Uh, a ton, not, not only about what you do, but, you know, different perspectives of, you know, goldfish and things of su- right. free speech and things of such. But uh, it's been great sitting down and chat with you. I appreciate your time, Daniel. We'll have to have you back on the show sometime uh, to come back to- and, and give us an update on how things are going. But keep rocking, will you? I will. I will, Sebastian. If your audience wants me back, I'm happy to come back. Excellent. Thanks again, Daniel. Thank you. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Up to $26,000 per employee? They call it the 15-minute refund, but it's not a gimmick. It's for business owners who stuck it out during the pandemic. The Employee Retention Tax Credit, or ERTC. But time is running out to get started. Talk to the experts. JWC Advisors at iHeartTaxRefunds.com. Who are they? CPAs who will keep you on the right side of the IRS. So do it the right way. Go to iHeartTaxRefunds.com. That's iHeartTaxRefunds.com. Thank you.